Good evening, class, and welcome to this Wednesday night Bible study. My name is Michael Whittington, and I preach for the Antioch Church of Christ, and I welcome you here this evening. Uh, before we begin, I'd like to thank Ken Harmon for the last two Wednesday nights. Uh, you know, the, the scriptures talk about iron sharpening iron, and, and over the years that I've known Ken, especially the last several months, um, I've really appreciated his insight into scripture, and uh, he's taught me a lot. And uh, anyway, I asked Ken a couple of weeks ago if he would take those two Wednesday nights, uh, you know, for our Bible class, and, and he graciously said yes. So anyway, thank you, Ken. If you're watching tonight, I do appreciate it. Uh, class, what we'll be doing for the next several weeks is going through the 51st Psalm. And I thought what we would do tonight for about a half hour or so is just introduce the Psalm. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalms 51, um, and then we'll begin our study. But let's, let's open this class with a prayer. Righteous Father, we do ask for your presence to be felt within us and all around us. And may you receive the glory as we go through the study of your holy word. Help us to apply it in our lives that we might more reflect uh, your presence and others might give you the glory. Um, we thank you, Father, for the church. And we thank you for giving us the privilege to be a part of this family. And we ask, Lord, that you will bless this study in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, what, I'll, what I think I'll do is uh, you can pause the video if you need to get your Bible, but let's talk about the 51st Psalm. Um, what I want to do first is simply read it. Uh, I've divided this into eight parts, and we may or may not um, take one part per Wednesday. That would be a, a very lengthy study of about, well, of, of two months. Um, but then again, if it calls for it, we will. Um, you know, we're in no hurry. By the way, I do pray that you are in good health. Um, I know during this pandemic, uh, I have prayed um, daily that God heal our land. I think of that text in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. if we'll simply uh, repent and forgive that God will heal us. I'm not saying that God sent the pandemic, but I am saying that we can use catastrophes and crises like this to draw closer to the Lord. And I pray that's what you're doing. The Apostle John writes in 3 John in, in verse two, he said, um, I, I pray that you are in good health. And then he added, I know that it is well with your soul. So that's really my thought as well. Um, I pray that you are in good health, um, but I know that it's well with your soul. So uh, thank you for, for, um, for viewing this, this uh, class tonight. Okay, let's, uh, let's read the text. Uh, it's on the screen. I'm sharing the screen with you. I like that. I just learned how to do it a couple of weeks ago, um, but it helps me, and I pray that it will help you as well. So here we go. The first two verses deal with the cry for cleansing. Now, I think next Wednesday, we'll pick it up with these two verses and go word for word, just about thought for thought. But for right now, let's read it. Uh, David prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, 
according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done that which is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified in thy sentence, and blameless in thy judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Fill me with joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and upright spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will return to thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of thy deliverance. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall flow forth from thy praise, uh, for thy praise. Uh, for thou hast no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give a burnt offering, thou wouldest not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. And that, by the way, class, that's the key to the entire psalm of contrition. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good to Zion in thy good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then wilt thou delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on thy altar. I know that's a lengthy reading, 19 verses. And I also know that uh, we'll be reading quite a bit uh, from Scripture tonight. Uh, next week, probably not nearly as much. But as opposed, I, I, I thought, actually, I was thinking just a moment ago, do I want to go ahead and read the text? Or do I simply want to paraphrase it and recite it from memory? And I opted to actually read it. By the way, I've included Second Chronicles here because, as you'll note, uh, the eighth part of this Psalm of Contrition, it's a, it's a corporate renewal. It's David wanting not just the first uh, 17 verses where David was, was King David wanting to renew his own spirit with God and ask God for forgiveness. Uh, but the last two verses, verses 18 and 19, really uh, concern themselves with David wanting uh, all of Israel to be, to be healed. And I was thinking as I was reading these two verses, just a moment ago I added this, I thought, this is precisely what we'll be talking about when we come to the last part of the 51st Psalm. I'd like to apply it not to Zion, not to Jerusalem. We're not Jews. We are Christians. We are Americans. I want to apply it to America. 
So we have the first seven parts of the 51st Psalm, which is a prayer for renewal that we can apply to ourselves. Me to me, you to you. You know, don't apply this to anyone except yourself. Otherwise, it, it, it loses uh, not just meaning, but it, but it loses the intent. God did not intend for you to read the 51st Psalm and think only of David or think of your next door neighbor. Or think of the guy who sits next to you in the in the in the pew, or or whomever. God gave us this three thousand years after it was written, so we would apply it to ourselves. Uh, but the last two verses, I think, uh, revolve around this: If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Okay, do you remember years ago, at least those um, in the churches of Christ, perhaps in the Baptist churches, I know I've, I've, I've attended several um, on Sunday morning when I've had the opportunity uh, just to hear someone else preach, to be honest with you. I thoroughly enjoy hearing other preachers preach. And um, anyway, uh, do, do, do you remember when we would offer the invitation? Now, now, we still do, of course, in many churches, and we do at Antioch as well. It's a little bit different. We'll have the shepherds come forth, and we'll invite people to come down to pray with our elders. Um, but basically, uh, and, and, and that is the beautiful invitation. In fact, for me, that and the Lord's Supper are the two highlights of our worship service at the Antioch Church of Christ. Um, but I do remember years ago um, when we would have a pretty canned, um, scripted, if you will, uh, invitation. At least I did. I was, you know, whenever I, whenever I would preach. And basically the invitation would be inviting people to obey the gospel um, or uh, place membership with the local church family or come down for rededication to rededicate themselves to the Lord to ask the elders or or in some cases to ask the preacher to offer a prayer on their behalf um, in the Baptist tradition it's an altar call and I'm sure there are many other traditions out there where at the close of the service usually the close of the sermon uh, the preacher will invite people to to renew themselves I'll tell you class renewal is critical we need renewal in every facet of our Christian walk um, and I speak only of myself when it comes to, you know, my own walk, and I presume that you need the same thing that I need. Um, I enjoy waking up of a morning while still in bed, you know, opening your eyes and waking up and having my first thought uh, on God and prayer. And generally I do. Um, there, there are moments I don't. I mean, I just get up and get out of bed and then I think, well, wit, you know, well. <laughs> What happened? Why didn't you offer a prayer in bed? Um, but normally I do. And I do it because I want the day to be directed by God. I, I, I need God's intervention in my life. 
not just, I mean, the spirit lives within all of us if we're Christians, but we need to awaken of a morning with, with the Lord on our lips. I normally will say the Lord's Prayer, to be honest with you, uh, because it kind of sets the tone for the day. Uh, Father, provide daily bread. Father, forgive my debts as I forgive those who you know, have sinned against me. Father, protect me. And then I'll normally you know, lengthen that, broaden it to my family, my three sons and my daughters-in-law, my grandchildren, my wife. The point that I'm making is every day is a renewal. We need to rededicate ourselves to Christ every day. We all need renewal. Our marriages need renewal. Debbie and I will have been married 48 years. Let me get the date right. Uh, 48 years uh, in about five days. On August the 25th, Tuesday, of next week will be our 48th anniversary. Now one might think, especially the newlyweds or even the singles, one might think, well, after 48 years, you really don't need to ask for a renewal. <laughs> uh, not. <laughs> Perhaps the longer you're married and the more in love you grow, the more you want to be renewed. So our marriages need renewal. Our friendships need renewal. You know, we are relational. God designed us to be relational. And not just vertically with him, but horizontally with each other. So in this moment of renewal, of relational um, renewing, um, it, it really draws us close to each other. The 51st Psalm, this is what I'm trying to get at, and, and I hope it will unfold like this. The 51st Psalm helps my marriage. The 51st Psalm, when, when I apply it to me, the 51st Psalm, when I apply it to me, helps my friendships. The 51st Psalm, when I apply it to me, makes me a better pop. It's what my grandchildren call me. The 51st Psalm, when applied, when I apply it to myself, makes me a better dad, makes me a better brother in Christ, makes me a better um, person who, who, who walks through the, you know, the grocery store and, and just the smile on my face, or if it's not. The 51st Psalm will make you a better Christian, will make you a better man or a better woman. Um, it's not written about David. It's written about us, me. So we all need renewal. We need to start over. One of the reasons uh, I enjoy the military. Now, it, it, you know, there are pros and cons to every, everything. You could always have a ledger with good and bad. And moving every 19 months, which was our average, um, has a lot of drawbacks. One of the positive things, however, is it gave not only my three sons and Debbie, my wife, but, but it, it gave me the chance to start over. <laughs> it gave me the chance to say, okay, I'm leaving this community where I've made friends for a year and a half or so. But I, I did things that I kind of wished I wouldn't have done. 
Um, I approached issues work-wise that I, that I probably should approach a different way. Uh, I can be a better leader. I can be a better uh, friend. I can be a better, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And so every 19 months, I had the chance to start over. The boys talked about how every time they moved, they had the chance to not only make new friends, of course, it was sad leaving old friends, but they had the opportunity to start over. You know, maybe, uh, you know, you develop cliques real early. And so maybe they'd gotten, you know, maybe they, when they first arrived, they were, they were pegged in a, in a certain way. And, and it wasn't who they were, you know, but it's difficult to get out of that, of that, um, of that mold. So they moved and they started over. We all need to start over. That's the point. One of my favorite poems of yesteryear that I put to memory, actually not the entire poem, uh, Louisa Fletcher wrote um, a text, wrote a poem called The Land of Beginning Again. It's about, I think, seven or eight verses, but I think I memorized three or four, but it will make sense to you. Listen, I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish griefs could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. For what had been hardest would know had been best, and what had seemed loss would be gain, for there isn't a sting that will not take wing when we faced it and laughed it away. And I think that the laughter is most what we're after in this land of beginning again. I'll tell you, we all want to begin again. But in order to start over, to begin again, we often need to be able to repent, to come to grips with our sins and understand that we simply must allow God to forgive us and start over. Okay, so how can we experience God's renewal? Well, I think the 51st Psalm gives us the, the, the precise outline where we cry for cleansing, we ask for renewal, and if you read all 19 verses, especially the first 17, it, it lays out a pattern for renewing yourself. And as we go through these Wednesday classes, I hope that you'll take some notes um, because you could end up with about eight steps to rededicating your life to Christ. The first one, which we'll talk about next week, is we need to simply do what David did and he just cried aloud, God, I need you. Have mercy on me, O God. According to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sins. It is a beautiful beginning, and that is where they start. Okay, let's very quickly look at the background of the 51st Psalm. Um, we're going to be reading 2 Samuel chapter 11 the first 17 verses and then verses 26 and 27. It's a lengthy reading. I have it on the screen so you can follow along. I really believe that sometimes we, we neglect to read 
God's word. We simply talk about it, but we never, you know, we don't really get into the text and read it. Actually, years ago, uh, and I don't do this anymore, but years ago, every class I taught, I mean, I did this for at least a period of two years, I know in my life. Um, every class I taught, um, whether it was to one GI or I had a group of a hundred soldiers or airmen, uh, I would read the Bible text twice. I would read it and I would say, all right, men, women, we're going to read it again. Listen to the word of the Lord. Because I thought, even if I, even if I, um, mess up in, in, in my, uh, teaching at the very least, they will have heard the unadulterated truth of God's word. And we'll talk about David's uh, reasons for crying to the Lord for cleansing, for renewal, uh, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered his, her, her uh, husband Uriah, and he betrayed Uriah as well. But for right now, let's just read the text. In the spring, by the way, this is 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking upon the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself from her uncleanness through the waters of the mikvah, by the way, through their baptistry. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am with child. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing uh, and how the people fared and how the war prospered. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present uh, from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not uh, go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel, the ark of the covenant, and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink? Uh, and to lie with my wife, as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow and 
I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. How treacherous, wow. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was slain also. Now this is verses 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she made lamentation over her husband, for her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now the son, we'll soon find out, um, died. That was some of the punishment that's the text following. But the thing that David did had, uh, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Well, now we could put that in our own words, and it's always helpful to take the text once you read it and put it in your own words. David is on the rooftop of his palace. Now you may wonder how in the world could he see Bathsheba bathing in the late afternoon? Well, the reason is that's where they would often um, clean themselves. That's where they bathed. Um, but you might think, hmm, she must have been a pretty wealthy woman to have a home with a rooftop and, and servants to draw water to give her a bath. And the answer is, yeah, she was. I have no doubt. We think about um, David's sins as generally the adultery that he committed with Bathsheba and then the murdering of Uriah. But I believe also, and this, this really is true with every sin. When we commit sin, we don't commit sin in a vacuum. We sin against God. In fact, David will say, against you only have I sinned. Because when you really think about it, the, the most heinous uh, sin that we commit is, is against God. But all sin is relational. Uriah, 2 Samuel 23, 39, was one of David's 37 mighty men. It's really a story within itself. David had apparently a group of generals who were, had proven themselves in battle. And no doubt, he, uh, and this is not in the text, but you can do some study on it if you want to, but no doubt that he provided special housing for his mighty men. So I perceive that 
and this is kind of the gospel according to wit, so give me this aside, if you will, this moment. But I see David on the rooftop of his palace walking about, and then knowing that his mighty men are surrounding him with these uh, nice homes, uh, very rare in the ancient world, and he sees um, this woman bathing. He probably knows she's a wife or somehow a, attached to one of his generals, he, but he doesn't know who. So he asks, he sends a word, who is this woman? And they said, oh, that's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, 2 Samuel 23, 39. Not only did David commit sin against God and against Bathsheba, and, the, and then commit the sin of murder. It was also betrayal. He brings Uriah back from the field, back from a deployment, back from wartime. And he does it solely to trick him to lie with his wife so his own sin, the king's sin, would be covered. But Uriah had too much honor for that. And he simply would not do it. So King David... Uh, wanting to somehow hide the sin that he committed, simply had Uriah killed. Now that's the background of the 51st Psalm, but there's a part missing here. How did David even come to, to want to be renewed? Well, it was the prophet Nathan. So let's read this text, 2 Samuel chapter 12. By the way, this is one of the few parables in the Old Testament. The New Testament is filled with the parables of Christ, with this earthly story and a heavenly, heavenly, uh, heavenly <laughs> meet. Uh, uh, um, somebody help the boy here. A heavenly moment here. You've got this earthly story wrapped up, wrapping up this spiritual truth. And so you have, that's what a parable is. And so you have Nathan sharing this parable. He approaches David. Now, David doesn't know that it's a story. He doesn't know that it's a parable. He thinks Nathan is asking for his advice. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him, and he said to him, and here comes the parable, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, a little female sheep, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his bo uh, bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. This man had a pet lamb. It wasn't a lamb to be butchered. It was a lamb as a pet, like we would have a dog or a cat. Verse 4, now there came a traveler to the rich man. And they prided themselves, by the way, on hospitality. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. 
and he shall restore the land fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. The man deserves to die, David told the prophet Nathan. Every parable has a moment when the audience realizes it's all about them. And that's the beauty of a parable. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. And then in the latter part of verse 7 and through the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan explains what God had done for David. Not only made him king, but his wives, his children, his riches, uh, his, his glory, that, that the Lord had done all of this. And then David committed these heinous sins. Now, is David a man after God's own heart? Well, not when he committed murder, not when he committed adultery, not when he betrayed a friend, but when he repented and when he lay before the altar of God, begging God. And if you read the 51st Psalm, he'll also mention blood guiltiness. I mean, David goes through each of these three sins, the adultery, the murder, and the betrayal. He talks about them and he begs God to forgive him. He's penitent. He repents. He wants to... To, to change his direction. He'll do anything if God will only allow him, will, will only forgive him of his sins. That's why he concludes in 51 verse 3, against thee only, against you only have I sinned. By the way, 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22 talk about uh, David being a man after God's own heart. So here, that's the story. You have David uh, seeing Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, committing sin with Bathsheba, murdering Uriah, betraying Uriah, being confronted by the prophet, realizing that he is, David himself, is so guilty, lying prostrate before the altar. And then this is a psalm. It's a prayer for renewal, and it's one that we all would benefit from. Uh, so David's response is the prayer for renewal. Now, in the next several Wednesdays, what we'll be doing is this. We'll be looking at uh, generally two verses, but there are two or three sections here where there'll be three verses. Uh, it starts with David's cry for cleansing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my, from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sins. We'll talk about that word for word next Wednesday. And the key, by the way, when you read it and look at it, the key is in the verbs, blot, uh, wash, and cleanse. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from thy sins. And once again, we need to apply it to ourselves. 
So next week, we'll look at a cry for cleansing, and then we'll follow that up the, the following Wednesday. And I may join these together. We'll have to wait and see how the time goes. Uh, a cry for cleansing, the reality of sin, the depths of sin, cleansing, and a, and a communion with God. There will be no renewal without communing with God. And then the actual renewal, this is when David in verses 10 and 11 says that it will serve no purpose to offer a sacrifice, that the sacrifice that God wants is you, is me, a contrite heart, a broken and contrite spirit, O God, thou wilt not despise. You will not despise anyone if their heart is broken and their spirit's broken and they want to repent. I'll tell you class, church, that's the key to the gospel as well. We are saved by God's grace, but what that grace does is it, it makes us want to respond with gratitude. And so when we sin, it breaks our heart. And we come to the Lord and beg for forgiveness. Those who do not ask for forgiveness don't understand God's grace. And if, and in fact, I think it's 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 their whole faith is questionable. If you're unwilling, if you don't even, if you're not willing to ask God to forgive you, then I wonder if um, if that faith is even there. Uh, restoration. And then, of course, he'll conclude in verses 14 through 17. It's a personal conclusion. And then the corporate, which we're going to be applying to the nation, uh, is in verses 18 and 19. So next Wednesday class, uh, come prepared to look at Psalms 51, the first two verses. I would read this psalm every day. If, if, if this class goes on for, you know, five or six weeks, uh, it, it may not. But if it does and you were to read this psalm every day, you'll have it memorized. And I would really recommend that you put it to memory because then you're talking about understanding renewal thoroughly. So let's, um, let's take this moment and close in prayer. Righteous Father, I thank you for the last few minutes. And I do pray God that uh, you will overcome my shortcomings as a teacher and that your Holy Spirit will simply speak to all those who are listening, help us rededicate ourselves to you and renew our spirits, O oh Lord. Have mercy on us according to your abundant love and according to your abundant mercy. In the name of Jesus, amen.